You're listening to Nerdy Jobs, a podcast presented by NerdsOnEarth.com. The mission of Nerdy Jobs is to highlight both the creativity and the professionalism of those who are behind the nerdy things we love. This episode of Nerdy Jobs features an interview with comic book writer Jim Zub. Hello, nerds. I am here with Jim Zub, who is one of my favorite comic creators, mainly on the strength of Skull Kickers, which is an excellent creator-owned comic and just a lot of fun. And so we're going to talk with Jim a little bit about what it means to be a a comic writer and some creative-owned comics. But hi, Jim. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. This is this is really fun for me, and I'm going to try not to geek out on Skull Kickers. Um, <laughs> but it's such a fun comic, and I love it. And you and I love some of the same things, the old-school RPGs and D&D and, and just fun, pulpy stories. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So with that in mind, like, what's your origin story? How did, how did you get started? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I think any kind of creator in this space will tell you that they grew up on the kind of stuff that they they now create. So I grew up playing lots of uh, Dungeons and Dragons with my uh, originally my older brother and my cousins. And then eventually, uh, as he went off to university, I played a lot of tabletop RPGs with my friends in high school. Um, and that really gave me an appreciation for kind of storytelling and entertainment and that kind of stuff. But, you know, in and along that, I was an avid comic book reader. I kind of went through multiple phases of, of collecting comic books, first with, uh, you know, kind of superhero stuff, mostly Marvel, and then eventually, you know, shifting over to more indie books and manga, just a little bit of everything, sure. all kind of hodgepodge coming together to be, uh, a pretty heady brew of influences that, you know, carry on through my work to this day. And then um, my, I wanted to get into art uh, in some respect and, and I didn't really see a way into the comic book industry at the time, particularly the eighties and nineties. It felt like you had to be in one of those cities. Uh, the way I joke about it, I say, you know, either you had to be uh, living in like New York or LA or something, or you had to be a brilliant British person. And I was <laughs> neither of those things. And so I ended up getting into animation, another thing I love quite a bit. And, you know, you'd see the credit uh, crawl on an animated film or a TV show, and there's a whole host of names there. And I'm like, I could be one of those people. Like, you know, that felt much more achievable than being, you know, one of three people on a comic cover or something like that. And so I started off working in animation. I got uh, training in traditional animation, so you know, kind of Disney style hand-drawn animation, worked in Canadian TV animation for a while. Um, and then eventually, as I was originally preparing to go back to school to get some retraining for computer animation, as the industry was changing focus, I lucked into, uh, thanks to a, a good friend, uh, getting a job at the Udon Studio, which is an art studio here in Toronto that's now also a publisher. And they were doing all kinds of different art for RPG books and advertising and publishing and concept art for movies and just a little bit of everything, just a full service kind of, you know, creative studio. And that gave me a huge grounding in terms of a whole other part of the creative industry that I didn't know about before, both the business and the commerce, the, the creative end of things. And, 
and learning how the thing worked. And a big part of that was also comics because they were doing work for Marvel and other comic book publishers at the same time. And so that gave me kind of a crash course in this whole other side of the business that I wasn't aware of before and really rekindled my excitement about making comics, about wanting to be in the comic book business. And so bit by bit, you know, convention by convention and sort of project by project, I learned more and more about the business and realized that what I'd been kind of wanting to do all along and what's always been my passion is telling stories and working with so many different artists and building up kind of a repertoire in that way. You know, finally, I got the opportunity to start making my own comics and my big breakout book was Skull Kickers. So in 2010, I launched this uh, creator-owned comic and it it was, you know, if you looked at it on a on its face, it was sort of not what the industry had going on. It was a humor book in an industry that was doing a lot of serious books. It was a sword and sorcery title in an industry where fantasy has traditionally not sold particularly well. But it was something I was passionate about, and people responded quite well to it. And it kind of gave me a footing to sort of show people I could tell stories, I could uh, make something fun and consistent and quality. And that has led to a lot of other uh, comic writing opportunities. And so now, man, oh man, like, you know, seven years later, I've got yeah. a bunch of creator owned titles. I'm writing regularly for Marvel and, um, you know, IDW. And uh, I do work, I've worked for Dark Horse and DC Comics and obviously Image still. I'm doing my creator owned stuff there. And just getting the chance to to really build out kind of a a, a library of of stories and and build my own skills in those areas. I get to write superhero stuff and I get to write fantasy stuff. And uh, I'm writing the official Dungeons and Dragons comic, which is you know a real dream come true. Yeah. And uh, and just be be the storyteller that I've wanted to be, just in sort of an unexpected way. Yeah, and you know you're working on a little property called the Avengers, which. Yeah, it's not that's not too shabby. That's pretty good. Right. So, yeah, yeah, there's this title called The Uncanny Avengers, which is uh, if the regular Avengers book is sort of like the the A team, this is like the B team of a bunch of characters who uh, people would know about. So, you know, I've got like uh, Quicksilver and and Rogue, who used to be with the X-Men, but now is an Avenger. I've got the Human Torch because the Fantastic Four is currently disbanded. Just um, uh, all kinds of neat characters sort of pulled from different parts of the Marvel Universe um, all together in this one title. And I get to write, yeah, I get to write the superhero characters that I loved, you know, growing up and and kind of build a little piece of that kind of amazing uh, structure, you know, in the Marvel Universe. It's a ton of fun. Oh, I, I bet. I My guess is that, you know, you read a little, a little Claremont X-Men Back oh yeah, I mean everyone. So everyone rogue did. and yeah, yeah, those yeah absolutely. I, my favorite was honestly uh, Spider-Man growing up, um, but my brother heavily collected the mutant books, and we just read you know each other's comics like crazy. Sure. We both loved Doctor Strange because there was the fantasy kind of connection. Like there's a wizard and he's a superhero. Well, that's like the best guy. Seriously, uh, we really liked the Thor stuff because the mythological angle on it and the magic angle. So. Those characters particularly, but honestly, anything in the Marvel Universe, we were pretty crazy about. And we collected all kinds of things. We also, um, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, which is like this catalog of characters talking about their history and their... Oh, for sure. I read them cover to cover. 
yeah, the definition of their powers, we would collect those and just read them and quiz each other on them incessantly because we were obsessed with, uh, with all the stuff. And so it's funny because here, like, you know, three feet from my desk on the shelf, I've got those books and I still reference them because although the internet's a really amazing reference tool, it's not so good for just like randomly kind of browsing. Yeah. You need to kind of know what you're researching. Otherwise you tend to just wander off into useless information. So I can flip through the old handbook of the Marvel universe and kind of go, Oh yeah, that guy, whatever happened to him. And then, you know, search online and find out the current state of whatever hero or villain and decide if that's a good fit for, you know, stuff I'm putting together. Oh, that's fun. Now, if I'm not mistaken, your day job, you're an educator, right? That's right. So I actually teach at an art college here in Toronto, uh, in an animation program. So I ended up having the opportunity to teach at a school out in Calgary, Alberta, uh, many years ago and got some good teaching experience and was able to sort of take the things I'd learned about drawing and storytelling and, and teach. And that I really, really enjoy that. I really enjoy working with people and watching their skills grow. And so a teaching opportunity opened up here in Toronto and I thought it would just be like a lot of these jobs. I thought it would just be a temporary thing and it's thankfully, you know, continued, uh, and thrived. So, I now help uh, coordinate the animation program at a school called Seneca here in Toronto. And our graduates are working for companies that include, you know, Pixar and Blizzard, uh, Ubisoft and BioWare, just all over the industry for video games and animation. Yeah. Well, if you go to your website, jimzub.com, I mean, it's it's clear that you're an educator that is now kind of in your bones. Yeah. You know, the articles you write that are really generous and, and kind of give back to the industry and talk about, you. OK, here are the here are the here are the pitfalls, here are the highs and the lows of being a creator owned comic writer. Um, mm-hmm. which, yeah, just trying to be as honest as I can with people. Yeah. The articles really kind of grew organically. So what happened was people would ask me questions on Twitter and or they would have assumptions about how they thought the industry worked. And I didn't want to be, you know, first of all, 140 characters is not a great place to craft a message. Even if right. you're trying to do a thread, you're just meandering, trying to get all these thoughts down in these little tiny bullet points. And I was like, man, I want to explain some of this stuff in more detail, but I don't want to have to do it multiple, multiple times. So it, weirdly, the the tutorials kind of grew out of expediency. Like I wanted to answer a question, answer it as thoroughly as I could and then just be able to point people to it. So the most common thing people ask is like, how do you do break into comics? Okay, great. I'll write a thing about that. And then whenever anyone asks me this, cause they ask it all the time, I can just point them toward it. And so it's, you know, and then it just sort of grew out of that. Like, well, how did you get into writing? What do you do about this? What's your, you know, sort of approach to that? All those things. Yeah. Well, I, some of those articles are, I think so well done, particularly some of those that talk about being a professional, like the professionalism of being a creator. So oh, thank you. Why do you think that's so important that, you know, someone who's trying to get into business, just that sense of professionalism? Well, I think, you know, any business you want to go into, you know, if you want to make this a career, I mean, not that I'm saying whether it's a hobby or a career, mm-hmm. I think you should take pride in your work and, and do the best job you can at it. But, um, you know, if you want people to take you seriously and pay you to do the things that you, you know, most people would consider a hobby or fun or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Right. You need to be able to prove that you can do this at a level 
of professionalism that you can be consistent, that you can deliver in a way that's going to, you know, make it clear that you're worth that investment, that you're worth that money or however else you want to put it. And so I think that that's pretty crucial early on, particularly how you treat the work and how you treat your peers is going to set the expectation for people when you're, you know, making your way in this industry and, you know, or, or collaborating with other people or looking to them for support just as, you know, you try and support other people in a, in a creative community. And so, you know, no one's perfect and we all kind of make mistakes at times, but if you can carry yourself well and treat people with respect and do the work, you know, in a timely and consistent manner as best you can. And when things go wrong, you know, keep lines of communication open and, and be decent to other people and not run away from problems. I know this sounds fairly obvious, but right. You know, I it think should be uh, obvious. it should be right. But <laughs> mm-hmm. when it comes to creative industries, I feel like people have this idea like, well, because it's fun or we're dealing with, uh, you know, superheroes or silly things that, you know, that, that anything goes and you're like, well, you know, these are industries, particularly now, I think people have a better idea of it because you see how huge the media related to these industries are, you know, Marvel is dealing with a billion dollar franchise, like, you know, we can have fun doing this, but we also have an expectation that we have to deliver, you know, what we say we're going to and, and stuff like that. And, you know, getting into the industry is tough and staying in requires you to be on top of what you're doing and and striving to improve yourself and improve your craft as much as possible. Well, and, you know, I'm sure it's a lot of folks that are like, hey, you write comic books, you're living the dream. And you're like, I absolutely am. But I work hard at this as well. Yeah, And, you know, those two things don't have to be separated you can love what you do Mm -hmm. and still be busting your hump you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. i I think that's one of those things that yeah there are times when i and i'm not trying to woe is me because it's not it is a ton of fun i love doing this but yeah people ask me well how do you juggle a full-time day job and doing multiple comics per month and i sort of say well you know the that thing you do in the evening, whether it's, you know, like hanging out with your friends or playing video games or watching TV, you know, I don't do very much of that. Right. You know? uh, yeah. I have to focus on this. This is what I've decided to, to put my time into. And that's how the stuff gets done. You know, you got to pick your time. You got to pick your priority and decide when and where you're going to put those chips. And so, Um, you know, for me, I love doing this stuff. And, and so when I get home, you you know, most weeknights, uh, I have dinner with my wife and then I go up to my studio and shut the door and I'm usually working quite late. You know, it's not until Friday night or something. And that's only if the schedule is going well, that we get to hang out with our friends or, you know, do more stuff kind of together because just the schedule is intense right now. And that's, that's just part and parcel of the whole thing. So let's talk about the schedule. Like what's your, what's a typical writing block for you? Are you kind of a fits and spurts sort of guy or do you stay maniacal to a consistent schedule? I wish I had a consistent schedule. It would make things a lot easier. Um, you ever see those videos of the guys who are like spinning plates on the tops of those yep. poles? 
Yeah, it feels a lot like that. Like, what is the current priority or the thing? Oh, the plate that's about to spin out. Oh, okay, that's the one I've got to pay attention to. You know, oh, this deadline's coming up. Well, then I've got to focus my attention over here. Oh, and whether that's the writing process or, you know, for creator owned stuff in particular, there's a lot more proofing that's involved. So on an image book, I'm, you know, also the kind of de facto project manager and pseudo accountant and, you know, like all these other things that these other hats that I have to wear to get the book over the finish line. And so some nights you're just responding to emails. Some nights you're just sending feedback. Some nights you're just, you know, trying to keep, uh, make sure that the print files are properly uploaded. And I know that doesn't sound very glamorous and it's not, but you know, it's required in order to get the book out in order to have it print properly in order to, you know, have your name on that cover and have it come out. It's got to be all those other things need to be finished. And so the, the romanticized sort of version of the writer, you know, sitting around waiting for the muses to kiss their fingertips and, and punching out a great story is not real, you know, for the most part. So let's talk about one of those books, Wayward. Mm-hmm. This is in the 20s. Like, that's a great run for a creator-owned comic, and it's getting all sorts of attention. It's been optioned um, for a show. and Yeah. So d- did that come in your mind fully formed, the idea, or was it a long creative gestation? Um, um, a lot of these uh, creative projects are sort of a mixture of an, a kernel of an idea and then, you know, finding the right collaborator and it all sort of coming together and the collaborators, you know, bringing their thoughts and feelings to the table. You know, it, the writer is not just hurling thunderbolts from on high and having everyone do what they say. That's just not how this works. So, you know, um, I had an idea for a story about kind of mythology in the modern world and the way that we treat mythology and how it influences us. And it, but it wasn't fully formed. It was very kind of um, ab, a larger abstract kind of thought about theme and, and purpose. And uh, I had known Stephen Cummings, this amazing artist, when I was at the Udon studio. We'd worked together and I'd art directed some projects he'd worked on. And we got to know each other quite well. Um, and we, you know, said it would be fun to work on something together. He'd actually done a really cool piece of artwork uh, for this anniversary art book that Udon put together called Vent, which was a place for us to, to vent a bunch of ideas and, and sort of concepts that we'd always wanted to work on. And he had this really cool one of uh, this Japanese girl surrounded by these creepy supernatural cats standing at the top of the stairwell. And I was like, oh, that looks awesome. What is that? And he goes, oh, I just, I want to do a ghost story set in Tokyo or some sort of thing in Tokyo and make it like the real city, not kind of the corny cliche that you see in in movies or, you know, like temples with ninjas and, and high rise buildings that that's all they think that Tokyo is because it's so much more than that. I was like, cool, man, I hope you get to make that. And then years later, you know, we were talking about the skull kickers had come out and was doing pretty well. And I wanted to get more projects off the ground because, you know, like any kind of, um, creative industry. I think you, both your fear and the industry at large, there's that sense of what have you done for me lately? Like, you know, what's your next thing? Oh, that's cool. What's your next thing? And you're just like, Oh my God, this, you know, endless, relentless release schedule. Um, but I wanted to get another creator owned property off the ground. And he and I started talking and I said, what did you ever do with that 
that story idea that and he goes, well, it wasn't a story idea. It was just, you know, this drawing and I wanted to turn it into something. I said, well, did you? And he's like, no, not yet. I was like, do you, do you want to? <laughs> and so we started talking about how to sort of develop a, a, a supernatural story set in Japan. Um, I love Japan. I've been multiple times. I really like the mythology and I started digging in and researching. And then I thought, you know, that old idea I had about mythology there's nothing saying it had to be Eurocentric. There's nothing saying that it had to be, you know, the the kind of British or Germanic kind of fantasy. Why don't I take that idea and sort of fuse it with this thing that Stephen wants to do and turn it into something else? And that's, you know, how creative ideas happen. They don't just, <clears throat> they don't just hit you like a lightning out of the blue. They really go through kind of a development process and they go through a, a, an evolutionary process. And in this case, this was figuring out that these two separate things actually were going to go well together. And then Stephen bringing, you know, his artistic sensibilities and us sort of building this thing together. That's why, you know, how Wayward came about. And so as we um, pulled it all together into a pitch concept that I took to publishers, I kind of came up with this sort of catchphrase for it. Like, it's, you know, it's like Buffy in Japan. It's about teenagers fighting Japanese mythological monsters, but they've also got kind of teenage drama and all that kind of stuff. And it was a, it was a pretty powerful mix. Uh, people right. really, if that doesn't sell it. people, I don't know what does. Yeah. It's got a good, it's it, the, the, it doesn't tell you everything, but it gives you a kernel of an idea that people go, Oh, I could see the potential in that. Oh, that sounds, I'd check that. Yeah. Out. And then Steven's just stellar artwork, you know, makes that even easier that draws people in from across a room. And so, the two of us sort of jamming together and bringing, uh, you know, as much of ourselves into it as we could, and then just bolstering that with really cool Japanese uh, mythological monsters and spirits and, and things like that. Yeah, well, it's a great story and a beautiful book. So congrats. Oh, thanks, I, yeah, I'm happy that it's doing so well for you. So yeah, we're really, really proud of it. And so just to sort of follow up on what you were saying about it being option. So Manga Entertainment, this company that's been around for many, many years doing, uh, you know, anime distribution uh, in in Europe and North America, they have taken an interest in the series. And so they've optioned it to do development with a Japanese studio, uh, either for live action or animation. And so that's sort of an ongoing process now. And we're really excited and hopeful that it all you know moves forward and gets greenlit and goes into production yeah well great so what what about writing comics has surprised you um i think that's a that's a good question i mean there's always sort of challenges and surprises i i don't know that i could sum it all up in one kind of thing i think that there that the the assumption that that um that either the artist or the writer is running things that, that, you know, that people who try and prioritize, Oh, this is the most important. Well, you have to have, you know, the artist is the one who, you know, brings people in the door or the writer is the, the one who makes all the decisions. And the reality is comic book storytelling is a lot of push and pull. Mm -hmm. It's the artist bringing their sensibilities into it and the writer bringing their ideas into it. And, you know, when the lettering comes in, you're making revisions that it's not just, I send a script the art machine pops out what I wrote as art. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's much more sure. back and forth and it's much more like any creative enterprise. It's a, it's a compromise and it's about 
finding the strengths from each one of the collaborators to make a to make the final result better, you know. So um, I think this is true of any creative project of any type, not just comics, but it'll never be what you exactly envisioned in your mind. It'll be different and better because you're making it manifest. You're actually bringing this thing to life. And that requires making changes and making, you know, decisions that you never imagined when you had that pure, simple concept initially. Um, and that's something I try and explain to people. I think they have this idea that they're going to come up with a great idea and then it's going to happen. And if it's successful, it'll all just go quickly from there. And the reality is creative projects are, you know, like an uphill battle and they're Mm -hmm. weird and, and strange. And you end up, you know, just going on a bizarre journey. And that thing you initially came up with is going to become something and hopefully, uh, you know, something really good and something you're really proud of, but you're going to learn no matter what you're going to build no matter what. And the difference between people, you know, I found who find success and those who I think wash out or, or just give up on it are people who have kind of the wrong expectations of that process that they think that it's going to be a very pure thing when it's actually a really messy thing. And that's okay. Well, you can see that push and pull on your uh, Patreon page, actually, because you'll release full scripts Mm -hmm. and then you can compare them to the final comic. And you can see how that those subtle changes and I can imagine that went into this creative process of of how that script versus that final pride. Yeah, absolutely. You know, whether it's the the publisher editor you know bringing their sensibilities into the mix or the artist has a different idea about presenting it or just all kinds of different stuff that's the reality of the production you know the script is just one part of the production of of the comic you know and it's laying down the story and it's laying down the majority of the dialogue is going to stay the same but as the art comes in and as the work gets done you see different or better ways to to make it happen or, you know, uh, things need to change based on requirements. And and that's okay too. Again, I think, you know, as long as you're able to sort of roll with this stuff and, and bring yourself into it and work hard, you can still make awesome things. And it's not just about, I write the script and then kind of wash my hands of it and walk away. Yeah. Do you have anything percolating now? Anything on the horizon that's coming up? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got, uh, you know, Wayward's still going. And so that takes up, obviously, a lot of my time, particularly now. We just finished doing story documentation for manga so that they can take it to, you know, the Japanese studios and whatnot. So that was it's a bunch of material that I worked on, but no one gets to see it. So it's like making decisions about what things we would change. You know, I've got the luxury of being able to look at all the story we've done so far and go, oh, could we foreshadow that better? Are there story beats that I think we can present even stronger or that will work better visually in a, you know, animation or live action context than they do even in the comic page. So there's stuff like that. That's all mixed in there that took a lot of time, but isn't necessarily something that people are going to have a chance to look at. Um, But there's also new comic book projects on the horizon. I've got a new Marvel project that's going to be announced, I think uh, in August. There was talk at one point they were going to announce it at San Diego Comic-Con, but that's been pushed back. So 
Um, I'm, yeah, really excited. I've been working away on this thing for quite a while and can't wait for people to find out about it and, and the possibilities all inherent in that. Um, I'm talking about doing more Dungeons and Dragons comics because we've been doing this series of mini series. Yeah. So I'm hopeful about being able to uh, write more of that because it is in obviously Chult. the next story is in Chult. I'm, I understand. Well, oh, the actual, yeah, the, the next adventure. Yeah. The next, yeah, yeah. They're adventure. doing this, um, yeah, this riff on the tomb of horrors kind of stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and, and then I've got some other, I've got some other creator on stuff, but, uh, like, uh, glitter bomb is another series that I'm doing an image and it's a series of mini series. So we're doing these four issue mini series. I want to do three of them in total. The first one came out last year. The second one's in the middle of production right now, and it will be, uh, coming out this fall. And then in 2018, we'll release the third and final one. And so that's been a fun kind of project to keep building and to do in a format I haven't done before. I haven't done this sort of uh, grouping of miniseries for my own creator own stuff before. And, you know, each one has its own kind of focus, but they're all connected together kind of thing. So that's been a really different sort of a process and, and a lot of fun. And I get to work with, you know, different artists, different collaborators. My co-creator on that one, Jabril Morissette, he's absolutely wonderful as well. And he gets to bring all sorts of amazing, you know, artistic sensibilities into the mix. Yeah, well, cool. Well, thank thank you so much for letting us see, you know, kind of behind the curtain on how things work. And thank you for your generosity and giving back to the comic community. And just, uh, you know, I I think I said it. It seems like just being an educator is is kind of in your in your bones. You yeah. yeah yeah. I mean, it's a it's a lot of uh, one of the things I try and do as much as possible when I'm whether I'm meeting people at conventions or you know, talking to people on social media is try and always remember like what it was like or what it is like, you know, to, to, to make things and to get started or to not know the answers to some of this stuff and to try and be patient and and also understanding because I would want the same for me. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I would want people to, to give me the benefit of the doubt or to, to, treat yeah. me with respect and stuff like that. So if Absolutely. I can answer a question for someone and just give them a quick, you know, help them avoid a pitfall or something like that, that they may just not know about, then, uh, then that feels really good as well. Yeah. So outside of comics, what are you, what are you nerding out on? Um, I don't get to do a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm running a tabletop, uh, D and D session right now. We're actually recording it. And a friend of mine is, doing the arduous task of uh, editing the thing. So it sounds like we really know what we're doing. Um, so it's called the Danger Dice Gang. And so we're doing D&D games. And we just finished up the first season. I think it's nine episodes going through old first edition module called um, The Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh. Yeah, I know fifth, it. Yeah, but doing fifth edition rules with it. And so I get to nostalgically dig back into these old adventures that I read till the covers were falling apart and take my friends who've never played any of this stuff and and put them through the ringer and also make make changes on the fly too to try and make the stories more dramatic or more interesting or you know use the fifth edition rules to their advantage and and stuff like that so that's been a ton of fun um i i when i do play video games or something usually i'm just jumping online to play a round or two of overwatch to just kind of break up my day a little bit give myself a bit of a, a breather from uh, writing and emails and 
school administrative stuff. So I'll jump online and I'll do, you know, a few matches, sometimes play with friends, sometimes just on my own. And I'm, I'm astonished how well put together that game is like, that's great. Blizzard is so good. Their, their, uh, process of never being the first into a market, but always going in and polishing it to like a mirror sheen. So, you know, first person shooters, particularly team-based ones, just feels like such a dense and difficult market uh, to, to understand and to do well. And I think a lot of people were wondering if they would be able to do it. And of course the game is just brilliant. Uh, I originally bought it because a friend of mine who worked at the Udon studio is one of the character designers. Oh, nice. Sort of like, Oh, I want to support my buddy Arnold. Uh, and then I started playing and I went, Oh my God, yeah, <laughs> this thing is awesome. Uh, so I'm pretty hooked now. I'm the same way with Hearthstone. It's just yeah. iPad, 20 minutes, you got a little break, and it's such a polished game that it's it's so great for just that little brain. Yeah, yeah. My my friends and I, we played Magic the Gathering when it first came out uh, back when I was in, I guess I would have been in like middle school, maybe first year of high school when Magic came out. I'd have to double check the years on it. Um and one of the things that got, as the game got more complicated, you know, the the bookkeeping, the density of trying to remember all the rules and the order of operations and, oh, did this happen before that? And the nice thing is about the digital platform for it is it's doing all that under the hood mechanical stuff. You can just focus on strategy. Yeah. Well, Jim, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time and, and I My appreciate pleasure. you doing this. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Nerdy Jobs. We hope you enjoy getting a behind-the-scenes look at one of the nerdy things we love. We do podcasts differently at nerdsonearth.com. We feature a variety of short-run shows, and we drop the episodes all at once, Netflix style. We do this so that you can enjoy a variety of topics and consume them however you want to. But we track which of our shows should receive a second season. What that means is if a show meets certain thresholds and things like download numbers or iTunes reviews, then it lets us know that you want more. So, do you want more episodes of Nerdy Jobs? If so, it's up to you to let us know. And the way to do that is to leave us an iTunes review. Make sure you make note that you're casting a vote for Nerdy Jobs to get a second season, meaning more interviews with creators. Thank you so much for listening. Later, nerds. Nerds.